Are you curious about the current state of the rapidly changing real estate market? For answers, look no further than Brian Linda at Coldwell Banker Bernizer Realtors. We are experienced real estate professionals with over 40 combined years in the industry. We have a finger on the pulse of the market and can help you understand the latest trends and conditions no matter how wild they appear. Right now, we are offering a free, no-strings-attached seller's guide. This guide is packed with valuable tips and insights to help you navigate the selling process with confidence. Contact us today at www.realestatechanged.com or find Get Brian and Linda on Facebook. Remember, for all things real estate, Get Brian and Linda. Welcome to Dr. Usher Ways In. I'm Dr. Dave Usher, founder of Reform Medicine, a direct aid primary care and obesity medicine system located in multiple sites around western Wisconsin so far. This podcast was created to shine light on the problems of healthcare costs in this country, give hope to those stricken by the pandemic of obesity, and inspire doctors and other healthcare practitioners with the knowledge that there is an alternative path to the legacy health system where doctor burnout and work-life imbalance are far too often the norm. Today, we will be speaking with and are joined by Dr. Tracy Zvenich. Tracy is, uh, among other things, uh, the policy director with the Obesity Action Coalition. And um, I think we'll find that this organization is in our corner as far as uh, obesity treatment and uh, awareness go. Thank you for joining us today, Tracy. It's great to be with you. Well, I'm uh, thrilled that you're here. Uh, you are um, a, I just, what I'd like to do is dive in and get a little bit of your background. Our learners, our listeners like to have a little perspective on who it is that they're they're hearing from today. So uh, if you don't mind, rather than me reading a long bio, I'll, I just wonder if you would kind of give us a quick uh, a uh, little background on yourself um, as to what you do and who you are and, and why you do what you do. Happy to. So I, I am a nurse by training and early in my career, I saw many of the challenges and barriers that uh, patients faced and uh, many of the gaps in the healthcare system. So I quickly um, pivoted my career into health policy. Um, I have a PhD in health policy and I've had a number of, of health policy roles over my career, including four years on Capitol Hill during the Affordable Care Act debate, um, as well as leading a policy portfolio within industry. I have also done some academic work in research and policy. And I currently serve with a national nonprofit called the Obesity Action Coalition. We are the largest patient advocacy organization. We represent 80,000 members uh, where we focus on awareness, support, education, and advocacy for people living with obesity. So we really um, place emphasis on um, obesity as a disease that obesity is a chronic complex disease where people deserve access to care and live a life free of weight bias and stigma. Wow, that's great. That's uh, certainly something that's needed. Your uh, 80,000 members, are those individuals uh, who struggle with obesity or know somebody who struggles with obesity or are those corporate members or what does it take to be a member of the OAC? 
Yeah, it's a little bit of all of the above. Um, people living with obesity, caretakers of people living with obesity, healthcare providers are welcome to join our membership as well as um, industry partners. Um, and we also have some global members as well. And wow. they are um, a couple different ways to become a member. Uh, you can be a member of our community, which is free. And you can also have more of a premium access membership, which is a a, a very affordable rate of $25 a year um, to get to have access to all of our information and resources. Uh, okay. And, and as um, uh, you know, an employer or an industry uh, partner, we have um, membership opportunities where you can, you know, uh, include your entire um, employee population or your broader community into our into ours as well. Uh, well, that sounds uh, very affordable indeed. Does um... So from a, so give me a broad, a broad overview, uh, Tracy, if you would, of the kinds of day-to-day -day things that the OAC does for its members, maybe individually and, and um, for the population uh, collectively. How do they, what's OAC doing that people should care about? Yeah, so one of our biggest focus areas um, is adv advocacy advocacy for people living with obesity to kind of break down those barriers to care. Um, so around access to care, we do a lot of work around um, changing policy, changing policy so people can get coverage for the innovations and the evidence-based treatments that are available today. Um, there are a lot of really good options for people now that either folks don't know about yet or again, don't have coverage for, and, you know, many of them are expensive. So even if, um, you know, someone does know about what the options are, it might just be out of reach because it's not affordable. So we um, advocate for policy change in Medicare. Um, and we also, um, as well as Medicaid for, um, and um, the Children's Health Insurance Program and state employees, we also advocate for that as well. Um, we help uh, some people with information around how to engage with a health insurance company. We have resources on that, uh, you know, trying to support employees who might want to approach their human resources department around changing their insurance coverage um, and benefits kind of through their employer. So we offer a lot of um, resources and supports in those ways as well. So, uh, yeah, thanks. So that's a, excuse me, it's a, what you're doing is uh, banging on the doors then of uh, people within organizations trying to get them to think differently about uh, how we treat obesity. And uh, what kind of success do you see? We've seen a lot of um, increased awareness and understanding of the complexity of obesity over the last several years. Um, so, you know, we are walking the we're walking the halls of Capitol Hill. We're having meetings in the state legislatures. We're, you know, speaking with large employer groups. Um, you know, really. Um, all kinds of stakeholders we want to be at the table with. We want to have a voice in these conversations. And um, on, from the federal level, um, from Capitol Hill, m most members of Congress have a pretty sound understanding now that obesity is a um, is a disease that it is that it deserves treatment, and that they they want to do something 
um, to support people living with obesity. Um, they've come a long way in that regard, not just moving from this idea of, oh, it's, um, you know, it's um, a character flaw yeah, right, and right. understanding that there's a science behind it. The, the blame game, right? The, yeah, the shame and blame game and, and, and you know, um, enhance their understanding around, around obesity. It, that, that's been a positive that we've seen. Um, there's a lot of support for legislation at the federal level. Um, we are in the process of reintroducing the Treat and Reduce Obesity Act, which is a bill that would uh, change policy in Medicare. It would change it in a couple of different ways. The first way it would change it is to um, expand the types of qualified healthcare providers that can offer intensive behavioral therapy. Right now, it's pretty restrictive that only healthcare providers in a primary care location, um, not anywhere um, outside in a specialty location. So for example, a dietitian um, in a private practice would not be able to provide, the, provide that type of service today. This legislation would correct that. The other major provision in the legislation would um, remove the prohibition on FDA approved pharmacotherapy for um, obesity. Today, um, uh, beneficiaries and Medicare do not have access to any of those FDA approved drugs. So, and that has a ripple effect into other types of health insurance coverage. Right. Um, so that's an important policy change that we want to, that we want to advocate for and be successful with to kind of have a broader reach and improve access and coverage um, across the, the board. Medicare goes very often private insurance kind of follows along, right? Exactly. Um, from the way billing is done and so forth. I mean, just across the board, kind of Medicare is the is the template for a lot of things. Um, yeah. So when we're talking about, um, so a couple of things, the dietitian, when you say um, prohibited or not able to do those services, what we really mean is the dietitian could be providing all those services and more, but is not able to be reimbursed by Medicare for that because that's of the way that's set up. And therefore, uh, a big segment of the population could really benefit from some sort of obesity counseling uh, won't take advantage of because they can't get it paid for by their health insurer, if you will. Um, is that, as I understand, is that correct? Yeah. For Medicare, as it stands yeah. today, if you don't get that specific service in the exact setting, the primary care setting by a right. provider in that setting, it's otherwise not available to you today. Yeah, they just they, That's how they keep the governor on that. And they, isn't this I think there's some inherent bias in that, right? Kind of the yeah, is, we'll get overwhelmed with this if we don't have some sort of um, way of you know, like a golf cart, you can only go so fast. If we don't put some sort of governor on this, it'll just bankrupt the system uh, because right. there's so many people who who need this, right? Yeah, that, so, that's and the... then then they have the primary care system, of course, is short a hundred thousand doctors probably. Um, yes. And so now you're asking an already stressed primary care system to be the place where all these people who could potentially get obesity counseling and treatment so forth uh, to do that and not let anybody else do it. Right. And that the other complicating factor is that 
most providers were never trained in obesity right. medicine. Oh, I know that too well, yes. So that is another barrier that is um, one that we um, talk a lot about and I hear from our members and, and patients and people living with obesity that it's hard to go see a healthcare provider, uh, one that doesn't know how to help you. That's really um, frustrating and uh, doesn't make you want to go back for more care. Right. All they want to do is prescribe drugs for the problems that your problem, your big problem, which is uh, the obesity, um, kind of begets all these other issues, right? The diabetes and high blood pressure and, and knee pain and back pain and all these things. Uh, and your primary care doctor, if they don't know how to treat obesity aggressively and effectively, uh, then just starts writing up drugs and making referrals for these secondary problems. Um which is interesting because that just says then your primary care doctor is really doing secondary care, not primary care. I'm a little biased right. in this regard, of course. That's I think a good point. Obesity, obesity management is true primary care, and most primary right. care doctors uh, just are not well versed in it, which is unfortunate. But I do think that'll change over time. But um, I think there's a lot of honestly, I think there's a lot of resistance to uh, some of that. I think there's still a lot of bias and stigma and and so on. Yeah. Um, I Bias and stigma is the other area we do a lot of work in um, We from a policy perspective as well. So, you know, weight bias are the beliefs, uh, the negative beliefs and um, around those living in larger bodies. And stigma mm -hmm. is the way it um, the way it's demonstrated or the actions that we see uh, toward people living in larger bodies. So from a policy perspective, it's really the last form of discrimination that is acceptable in, uh, in society. And right. so there are a number of policies that are introduced at the, at the state level or even at the, like the city or more local jurisdiction level that are now prohibiting um discrimination based on weight. And uh, New York City just passed a bill uh, May 11th, 2023, that uh, prohibits weight discrimination in housing, employment, and public accommodations. So that was a really positive um, movement in this space to address weight bias and stigma. We see um, other, other states taking action as well as far as introducing legislation. And then we as an organization, Obesity Action Coalition, we want to help ed uh, help more states introduce um, weight bias um, legislation to prohibit that type of discrimination and uh, try to get more states to move in that direction. That's a very interesting, um, interesting approach. I have um, uh, recently, um, I mean, it pops up in the news now and then you hear about airlines charging more for bigger seats or two seats and so forth. Um, there's, and, and clearly there are socioeconomic uh, implications of whether it's stigma or not or or bias or not or just the reality for whatever reason. I, I don't maybe you are familiar with that data. I'm not so much, but. Uh, the rate at which people get married if they have obesity and the rate at which they have children and um, their lifetime income levels and all those things are are uh, limited uh, relative to um, the normal kind of non-obese population. It's a, it's a sad thing, but very true. And 
And it's, again, when you get down to it and realize that nobody wants to struggle with this problem and, and it's not really their fault. It's just what it is. I mean, look, it's a pandemic, right? I mean, but I see uh, recently 7%, um, this was out of a, a conference I was at a couple months ago, uh, where the uh, speaker presented a, a study. Actually, I think it showed up in a British medical journal, but talking about the United States. And they looked at uh, what we think of as kind of the typical wellness blood work that people get, you know, your cholesterol panels and your blood sugars and your hemoglobin A1C and blood pressures and these various screenings. Uh, basically, all of them uh, boil down to looking for metabolic syndrome or, or, uh, aspects of metabolic syndrome. And this article pointed out in the United States, there's only about 7% of the population who are perfectly metabolically healthy. Nine, the, re, the remaining 93% of us, uh, whether we look healthy or we look like we have a weight problem or um, whatever the situation may be, um, only 7% of us have normal blood pressures and, and body weights and all those triglycerides and HDL and all those various things that reflect really good metabolic health. So what we can see, uh, maybe the source of this bias and stigma, uh, as someone being overweight, there's a whole lot of other people who don't look very overweight or don't aren't overweight at all, and they still aren't metabolically healthy. There's something afoot there, um, I mean, societally, right? Across the whole, the whole country, there's something going on that uh, is, in my, the way I describe it, it's poisoning people. And um, we've been just slowly being poisoned over the last 40 years. The numbers keep going up and up and up. Yeah, obesity really does um, affect all facets of our life, right? From the, you know, our metabolic health to our quality of life. Right. So another major um, area that we um place a lot of our efforts in is education, right? So we have education for people to understand what obesity is, understand the nutrition side, understand the, you know, the treatment options side, understanding um, the mental health um, uh, side of living with obesity, understanding different, you know, relationships. You know, we have um, digital um education resources. We have um, support chats where people can come and meet together at uh, dates and times that are uh, posted. Um, we have a whole host of, you know, written materials that are helpful for folks. And then uh, we have an annual meeting as well uh, for um, our members. It's uh, called Your Weight Matters Engage, and it will be happening this September um, September 21st through 23rd in Orlando, Florida. So we would welcome anyone who's interested in um, being supported, learning more about obesity, um, you know, the science behind obesity. Uh, all of our education is science-based and um, understanding uh, obesity at all various levels. So we talk about advocacy around obesity. We talk about obesity in your family. We're having a, um, we're doing support for teens and their, and their families um, at our, at our meeting this year. So a lot of great um, offerings for people that want to learn more or people that want to kind of establish relationships with other people that are um, maybe going through the same thing. Right. Networking is an incredibly powerful um, 
thing, right? I mean, just how how you and I met through uh, Dr. Barthelot, you just yeah. kind of, um, it, it leads to good stuff. So um, Your Weight Matters, Engage in September in Orlando. So if you're, if I'm a listener and I'm interested in getting involved with that, I would go to where the IAC um, website? Yeah, you can find out more information at obesityaction.org. Obesityaction.org. Yeah, or the, just search Obesity Action Coalition and you'll that'll take you right to all of our information and resources. Yeah, and then you, if you're looking for more, of course, you can look for more, but you can look up for that conference or the events. I imagine it's probably, you probably have a list of, of things. Yes. Um, okay, well, that is fascinating. Does your, does the OAC do kind of individual advocacy on like, uh, I don't want to say legal, but maybe sometimes there's legal things like, for example, if somebody, if an individual is being discriminated against, do they have resources there as to how you, uh, or do they have somebody who will take that on and help plow through that problem? Or, um, or is it mostly just education about how somebody would do that, where they are, or how, what, what is available there? We're happy to talk to anyone that's encountering a problem or, a, a you know, an issue, um, we, you know, we'll take it on a case-by-case -case basis, right? We don't offer a f um, legal services by right. any means, mm -hmm. but we are happy to talk, talk to someone and hear what they're going through. And if we can't help them, you know, point them in the right direction or help facilitate getting them in touch with someone who potentially can help them. Okay, very good. So some counseling, at least in that regard, to kind of uh, point people where they need to go. Yeah. Um, all right, very good. Does um, you uh, and I, let's see, you engaged me to help you with a state level thing here. How did that go? I wrote yeah. a letter. Did I have yes. any effect? Yes, thank you so much for, for your advocacy. Oh, sure. um, so for the Wisconsin State Employee Plan, um, they did not select to um, add coverage for nutritional counseling or pharmacotherapy for the treatment of obesity for the 2024 plan year. Oh, so we will um, be going at it again uh -huh. <laughs> next year and, uh, you know, keep, you know, providing more evidence, keep providing more support and advocacy to um, improve that access to care here in the state of Wisconsin. You know what the resistance is to that do they tell you that oh we can't do it just simply because it's too expensive or we don't know how to manage it or they just don't but what is what's their hesitancy around that? the most common hurdle we face is this is a concern over cost okay. and the understanding of the cost of treating obesity is is not well understood so we know from the evidence that approximately one to three percent of people actually get access to evidence-based obesity care. And that is consistent across intensive behavioral therapy, pharmacotherapy, and bariatric surgery. Very few people um, actually get access to the to uh, um, to these interventions. Um, and in addition, the the concern around the cost of the 
FDA approved medications, right? Some of the newer ones are quite expensive. Um, the, from the modeling that I've seen there, um, there are concerns around um, the, you know, essentially the numbers that they're using. I don't want to get too into the weeds, but they're looking at um, they're looking at the list prices of these drugs and not factoring in rebates, not factoring in the other contractual agreements and discounts that they get. So they're using the 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 high, the the highest cost of the drug, the one that's sticker the, price, know, right? Yeah, the sticker price when that's right. not actually the reality of what the cost to their to the state would be or to the organization would be, and they really need to change their modeling to get um, a true picture of what the potential cost um, may be. And um, you know, in doing so, you actually see that um, given you know um, assumptions around the percent of people that would utilize the interventions, um, you know, specifically in this case, um, talking about the medications, it's, it's, it's much lower and it's, it is a, an affordable option um, for in, in most cases. So um, there's, there's still some, a lot of work to be done in, in helping um, organizations understand what the true cost of treating obesity would be. The true cost of not treating it. Do they know what that is? And holy man. Uh, That's a really good point. Time, right? I mean, what's your what's your alternative? So one to three percent is of people in a population with a body mass index over 30, or is that one to three percent of the entire population? BMI of the population of the obesity. population that has obesity. Yeah. So it's only one to three percent of that. Mm -hmm. So one to three percent of 42 percent. Correct. Right? So that comes down to one, you know, point something percent of the whole population um, has that available to them. Uh, and then there's another 30% of people who are, I call it pre-obesity. They're just on their way up, right? With with regard to the body weight and, um, and metabolic parameters and so forth. Wow. Um, right. So some of these medications, people have heard of these, right? There's uh, Wegovi and Ozempic and Manjaro and Saxenda and uh, some of the older ones that are still, I think, uh, covered under patent would be like Chondrave and uh, uh, Cusimia. That's um, right. And those are all, those have all come out. Those, I mean, when I started with the, uh, what's now the OMA, the Obesity Medicine Association, about 18 years ago, um, that was one of the big laments by all the obesity doctors was, gosh, they're just, you know, we haven't had any new obesity drugs in years. Um, there's... There are still some really uh, good oldies, but you kind of have to be familiar with them. And there, Wisconsin in particular has some kind of restrictive state laws around how you use them. But um, uh, fentramine and those kinds of medications, but they're um, for the long longest time they're just these new things. New ones would come out, and they would and they'd get pulled off the market. The the fenfluramines and uh, most recent one, cybutramine, and so on. Um, they look like they might have some promise, but then they kind of kind of go thud, you know. And so, um, yeah, but all of these, and when I try to prescribe them these days, for example, uh, Wegovy or that's probably the biggest one, maybe Ozempic. Ozempic is not approved for obesity technically, but it's the same drug as Wegovy. So it causes a little confusion. Um, but these things are 900 or 1000 or $1,200 a month sticker price. 
right? Somebody tries to pay cash for that and they go to the pharmacy and, you know, what we're trying to prevent all these terrible diseases. Then people die of heart attack when they go get their drug filled because they get the price on it. So it really is a, it's a, it's a tough thing. There are some effective drugs out there, but the, the availability is, is uh, uh, not really high. Um, let's see. How many people um, does the OAC employer engage with? How how big is that organization uh, structurally? Like, is that thousands of people working for for OAC, or is it a couple dozen? Or how would how would you describe that? Yeah, we're around a dozen a dozen employees at the OBC okay. Action Coalition. And um, yeah, so that's not big. No, no, right. we're we're um small but mighty. Yeah, you guys have, but you're at everything. When I go to OBC medicine meetings mm-hmm. or various things, OAC is very often there uh, with a booth just like everybody else, um, which is great. And that's a lot of work for uh, for a small group. Um, you, we didn't talk about this specifically, and I don't know if you're still doing this, um, but you are a professor or associate professor at a university, are you not? Uh, yes, I teach health policy and advocacy at, at Georgetown to graduate students. Yeah, Georgetown University and in D.C., but you do that remotely or out of your home? Uh, yes, my students are part of a distance learning program. Yeah, well, that's fascinating. So you are definitely uh, somebody who's in the know on the, this whole issue of uh, advocacy. Um, but I, so Tracy, I'm going to, as we wind down here, I would like to thank you for taking your time to join us today and tell us about the OAC. And, uh, for those people who might uh, be interested in more again, obesityaction.org Correct. Is, is the website and, uh, the, um, event this fall in September is your weight matters engage. It's great advice. Great advice. There's no, no time like the present to to uh, get moving on that problem because it's really a uh, it's a bear. Um, so uh, I'd like to thank you again for taking your time, Tracy, today. And I think we're going to wind down for uh, this episode of Dr. Usher Weighs In. We thank all of our listeners for tuning in and we hope to hear you on another Dr. Usher Weighs In podcast. <laughs>